Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. Monday, January the 17th, 2022. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Hopefully your weekend went really, really well. And the good news is you get to get back at it. You get to start your work week off or your whatever your school. I don't know what's on your agenda this week, but you get to get after it. Praise be to God. Just imagine what the Lord will do in your week this week. We're going to be praying about that here in a few minutes. But uh, today on the program, the beauty of austerity. We're going to talk uh, with Mary Cuff. She has an article out in Crisis Magazine. She has a Ph.D. from Catholic University of America in literature. She's a homeschooling mom, and she teaches at Homeschool Connections. And she has an article out uh, about a sister of the Carmelites who, at a time in the church that was changing rapidly, was struggling to keep its identity. And I think a lot of religious organizations are in the same kind of uh, situation, the same boat, so to speak. So I think it'll be a wonderful conversation with Mary Cuff to uh, to learn more about Sister or St. Mary Vallis and her struggle with the Carmelites to keep that identity going post-Vatican II and, and all of that. So Mary Cuff from Crisis Magazine is going to be on at 35 past the hour. And there are, of course, many stories. Did you catch the insane synagogue hostage rescue thing going on in Dallas area over the weekend. I was out hunting and I wasn't paying any attention. So kind of caught me off guard a little bit uh, reading and catching up on the news. So there's a lot of that. Plus, here's a question for you. Could you identify the top 10 richest men on planet Earth? I bet you can name a couple of names, but I'll go over the list with you at 15 past and to tell you that Guess what? In the pandemic, they got a whole lot richer. And statistically, the poor got a whole lot poorer. I wonder why that is. We'll have that conversation coming up at 15 past. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. How was your weekend? It was great. It was the first weekend that I got to settle in, so I made myself some chili con carne. I didn't I didn't get an invite. I didn't Yeah, well, I don't remember a text message, an email. Well, Hey, stop by for the chili con carne. I, I didn't know. A real Texas treat. I guess. I wouldn't know. Might I add? I, I, know. <laughs> I was camping in freezing torrential wind weather. It was it was kind of fun. Yikes. Yeah, it was fun. It was good. But it was a, a my microphone's not behaving. It was fun, but it was uh, also a frustrating trip because uh, <laughs> my microphone is just like, I'm not going to do it today, Joe. Uh, all right, anyway, speaking of which, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Speaking of uh, microphones falling oh, apart, look at my microphone. <laughs> it completely fell apart. I mean, you're watching online. You can actually see my uh, microphone <laughs> physically falling apart in front have, of me. Have you been messing and with the equipment again? There you go. It, Something it happened. I sabotaged but, you guys. <laughs> there you go. There you what go. is the deal? But, uh, no, praise be to God. I had a great weekend. I, other than the, this microphone falling <laughs> apart on me. 
I was at the uh, the March for Life in uh, Dallas. Praise be to God. I ran into uh, yeah. some of the listeners from CDT. We had uh, Daniel uh, came up to me. He was like, oh, you know, I've been listening to you guys from day one. Keep up the good work. Praise so God. praise be to God. Thank you very much for everyone who comes up and says hello to me. Uh, I'll actually be in Austin next this coming Saturday with a small group of friends I'm t- bringing up there. So if you see me in Austin, come say hi. Praise be to God. I'd love well, to take awesome. a picture with you or it's just say hi and, you know, whatever else. Did you... I mean, you're in Dallas, and there's a hostage in Dallas situation. I had no idea that was happening. So you're not connected? No, no. no unfortunately not. <laughs> now, some I of the articles said it was someone. a gentleman with a, a British accent. Story. It was a gentleman with a British accent. Adrian, do you have a British accent? Uh, I have the exact opposite of a British oh, accent. In fact, okay. most British people would be upset with me for speaking English. <laughs> uh, so there you go, folks. But uh, uh, it was great. The Dominican sisters were there. We had, uh, oh, and I got to carry Our Lady of Fatima. So we had a really? statue of Our Lady of Fatima, and we were, processed her through. And uh, the organizers were like, oh, can y'all take Our Lady to the front? And so we had, uh, we actually got to lead the march uh, for life in Dallas. So praise be to God for that. And the sisters were standing by us. We were all praying the rosary. Amen. It was a delightful experience. Praise be to God. Yeah, amen to That's that. Great. Praise be. So chili con carne. And, oh, uh, and it was chilly. And it was, but it, it wasn't was very chilly. Yeah, the I wind was up, blowing. You could like lean against the wind. The <laughs> yeah. snow and it started flurrying of snow. Yikes. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, the, we 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 arrived at camp and we got the report. There's going to be like massive wind coming down range, so we couldn't have a campfire because that's a major you know fire risk. Oh yeah, it could spread very quickly. Especially the humidity level was dropping and temperatures were dropping. So we actually camped in the back of the Tahoe. And, uh, you know, about 1 o'clock in the morning, the thing started rocking. You know? Oh, no. <laughs> Yikes. Which was great. But uh, we had a good – I always – we enjoy camping at, at the very least with our boys. You know, it's such a fun time to get out in the woods. And uh, we wish we'd have been more successful at harvesting the meat. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. We had a lot of unfortunate circumstances that happened along the way that led to that. But we are so grateful for uh, Jerome – and his family that allowed us to come out and camp and hunt on his, on his property. It's always such a great opportunity for our family. All right, uh, we're going to jump into it. We have a lot to cover today. Mary Cuff, as I said, going to be our guest coming up at 35 past the hour. Breaking news and stories, Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. In the second hour, we, of course, have a brand new prize sponsor pack for our game show this week. So hopefully you can join us for a second hour for those of you that are able to do so. You can always watch live on our website. And don't forget to get your car raffle tickets as well. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, now you're breaking news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning into Catholic Drive Time. I'm Rudy Carlos, and let's dive right into the headline news this morning. The Blaze Report's top GOP lawmaker discloses something more to hostage crisis at Texas synagogue. Investigation goes global. A top House Republican revealed Sunday that the investigation into the man who took four people hostage at a Texas synagogue on Saturday has gone international. Representative Michael McCall from Texas, the ranking member on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, told the told CNN host Jake Tapper on the State of the Union, there is something more to the case than a lone actor. I know the FBI has now fanned their investigation out to London and Tel Aviv, so this has turned into an international investigation. So there's something more here, McCall said. 
And the fact that he's calling for Lady Al-Qaeda's release from prison has been, as you said, in the jihadist world, a kind of cause celebre. And so I think we're going to find out a lot more in the next 24 to 48 hours. He's British. I wouldn't be surprised if he's Pakistani, just like Siddiqui. And we need to get to the bottom of this, he added. We haven't seen one of these radicalized attacks in a few years now, and it's disturbing to see it raise its ugly head again. Law enforcement identified 44-year-old Malik Faisal Akram as the perpetrator and said he traveled to the U.S. approximately five weeks ago. The motive has not been officially determined, although his choice for attacking a synagogue on a Saturday during the middle of Sabbath service strongly suggests religious motivations. The suspect reportedly demanded the release of convicted terrorist Afia Siddiqui, who's known as Lady Al-Qaeda. Siddiqui is serving an 86-year prison sentence for, uh, after being convicted in 2010 of an attempted murder and armed assault of U.S. military personnel. Epic Times reports parents sued California after it required Aztec prayer in public schools. State now agrees to settlement. And Breitbart reports Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin signals new leadership with 11 executive actions on first day. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin signed a new direction for Virginia on his first day in office, signing 11 executive actions aimed at changing the trajectory of the Commonwealth. Youngkin signed the nine executive orders and two executive directives, many of which were focused on education, the coronavirus, and economic development, according to a press release. In his first executive order as governor, the Virginia Republican promised to restore excellence in education by ending the use of divisive concepts, including critical race theory in public education. The second order promised to empower Virginia parents in their child's education and upbringing by allowing parents to make decisions on whether their child wears a mask to school. Both orders signal the fulfillment of a major campaign theme about education and parental rights, taking on the Marxist critical race theory indoctrination scheme directly and opening the opportunity for parents to choose whether or not to mask their child, a practice that has proven to be detrimental to social development and mental health. The final education-related order is the fourth, which promises to investigate the Loudoun County School Board, which appears to have covered up a rape of a student in order to pass a sweeping transgender bill that would allow boys to use girls' restrooms and locker rooms. Another coronavirus-related directive promises to restore individual freedoms and personal privacy by rescinding the vaccine mandate for all state employees. Youngkin also declared Virginia open for business, but backed up the order by stating his intention to withdraw from the regional greenhouse gas initiative and cut job-killing regulations by 25%. And the Blaze reports Novak Djokovic faces deportation from Australia again, this time because his presence may excite anti-vaccination sentiment. Men's world number one tennis player Novak Djokovic has had his visa application revoked by the Australian government a second time due to his being unvaccinated against COVID-19. The Serbian tennis star now faces deportation once again and will be unable to defend his title at the 2022 Australian Open unless he can win a last-minute appeal. The Guardian reported that Australian Immigra Immigration Minister Alec Alex Hockey on Friday uses ministerial discretion to revoke Djokovic's visa on public interest grounds, saying that his presence at the tournament could excite anti-vaccination sentiment. And those are your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed Gonzalo de Armorante. He was born in 1187. When he was carried to the baptismal font, the infant fixed his eyes on the crucifix with a look of extraordinary love. Then when he had grown up and been ordained a priest, he is said to have resigned his rich benefice to his nephew and to have spent 14 years upon a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. On his return, being repulsed by his nephew who set the dogs on him as a vagrant, he was supernaturally director, directed to enter the order in which the office began and ended with the Ave Maria. 
He accordingly became a Dominican. Huh, imagine that. But what was allowed by his superiors to live as a hermit, during which time he built largely with his own hands a bridge over the river Tamega. When the laborers whom he persuaded to help him had no wine to drink, and he was afraid that they would go on strike, he betook himself to prayer. And then, on hitting the rock with his stick, an abundant of, uh, supply of excellent wine spouted forth from the fissure. Again, when the provisions failed, he went to the riverside to summon the fishes, who came to his call and jumped out of the river, competing for the privilege of being eaten for so worthy a cause. Similarly, he read that when he was preaching to the people desiring to make them understand the effects of the church's censure upon the soul, he excommunicated a basket of bread, and the loaves at once became black and corrupt, and then to show that the church can restore to communion, he blessed them again, and they recovered their whiteness with their wholesome savor. He died in 1259. Blessed Gonzalo, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were accustomed to fast. People came to Jesus and objected. Why do the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered them. Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old cloak. If he does, its, full and its fullness pulls away. The new from the old and the tear gets worse. Likewise, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the skins are ruined. Rather, new wine is poured into fresh wineskins. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Venerable Bede said, When first we began to be converted to God, the spiritual consolations which God infuses into our souls cause in us an overflowing of spiritual delights, so that when then fe so that we then feast and are in the midst of delight. But when the bridegroom shall be taken away, when these spiritual consolations cease, then we fast and find the commandments difficult. It is then we must prepare ourselves for tribulation. Close quote, Venerable Bede, pray for us. I think there's something quite beautiful that could be said here about the imagery of the bridegroom. And Theophilicate had something wonderful to say, but we're going to run out of time. So I'm going to say in the next hour, I will share what Theophilicate says about who is the, uh, the offspring of the bridegroom. It's quite, I think it's beautiful, but you'd have to tune in next hour to find that. You can do so on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT, or hang out with one of our live video streams on YouTube or Facebook, Odyssey. We're also on LinkedIn and in Twitter. Again, all the links are on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. We'll be right back. What's concerning us coming up next. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. We believe that parenting is a path to holiness. Sacrificing and suffering are built right into the vocation of being a spouse and a parent. St. John Paul II tells us, families become what you are. Meaning that if you want to be holy, be a better father, mother, a sister, son, husband, or wife. Holiness can be found by embracing the call to be a family. 
To help couples celebrate Lent and Easter, we've developed a program called Cana 90. Cana 90 is designed to help couples grow in holiness through commitments of prayer, fasting, and mercy. But all these commitments are made remembering that the path to holiness is found through loving your spouse and children. Our Cana 90 program provides guidance to help couples make good choices together. We provide free videos, podcasts, and even activities to do with your children. If you want to join us, sign up by visiting us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. So you're driving to work while listening to Catholic Drive Time. But you're not just driving any car. You're driving a midnight black 2022 GLA 250. Make 2022 your year by supporting the GRN and possibly winning a GLA 250 by going to grnonline.com and buying five tickets for $100 or $25 for one. Raffle ends February 21st and you must be 18 or older to participate. Jesus Christ, welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, Mary Cuff, Dr. Mary Cuff, is going to be our guest to talk about her her article on the Crisis Magazine website, crisismagazine.com, about the beauty of austerity. It's the story of a Carmelite sister and her struggle to keep the order according to the foundation, in a time of the church that was seeing great upheaval post-Vatican II. It's a wonderful story. It's very inspiring. Mary Cuff is going to be our guest at 35 past the hour. And I think it's important because there's a lot of organizations, a lot of orders, rather, that are in kind of the same boat right now, hoping to keep to their original charism, and they're struggling to do so. So we'll have that conversation at 35 past the hour. There are, as I say, several stories in the news that are of great concern, I think, to me, and I'm sure to some of you. Here's one out of LifeSite News. Uh, A Tennessee diocese rescinds vax requirement after Supreme Court rejects Biden mandate. Now, I think it was, was it Friday that we covered the, uh, the Supreme Court case? Uh, Supreme Court came down. I think I read to you Neil Gorsuch's comments, which he represented the six judges that voted to to stay to keep the OSHA blo- blocking OSHA's business mandate, while at the same time allowing the HHS mandate for medical workers to proceed. And the big key there was the Congress had given authority to HHS to do so, but had not given authority to. OSHA. That was sort of like the key uh, issue in that in that decision. But it was a major six to three is, is considered like huge. So at any rate, uh, so we're seeing this headline here. Let me read a little of the article for you. The Diocese of Knoxville, Tennessee, canceled its plans to require covid shots or weekly negative tests of its employees after yesterday's U.S. Supreme Court ruling striking down the mandates. Jennifer Mills, the the Knoxville Diocese's human resource director, issued an email to employees at 2.59 p.m. January 13th and again at 4.15 p.m. announcing that their COVID shot mandate policy was rescinded. Quote, I am pleased to announce that as of today, the Supreme Court blocked the vaccine mandate. Therefore, the Diocese of Knoxville is rescinding our vaccine mandate policy effective immediately. Close quote, she wrote. Before the Supreme Court's decision, Deacon Sean Smith of the Knoxville Diocese had emailed those concerned about the tentative vaccine mandate, stating emphatically that he was not in favor of the mandate since it violates the rights of conscience. 
Smith explained that the diocese felt compelled to initiate enforcement of Biden's uh, jab pup mandate since otherwise they they would have faced crippling fines beginning January the 10th. Had they not issued a vaccine policy, he wrote, the diocese would have been subject to an initial penalty of $136,532 due to, quote, willful, unquote, noncompliance. On top of that, the diocese would have been subject to a $13,653 fine per violation, which would increase tenfold for repeated violations. No business, much less any diocese in the United States, could long remain operating under such punishing fines designed to force compliance or bankruptcy. Mills confirmed to LifeSite News on Friday, quote, we told our employees from day one that if the Supreme Court blocked it, that they were going to rescind it. The only reason we were doing it uh, is because we were under threat of severe penalties from OSHA. If we didn't follow through on that policy, it wasn't a policy that we wanted to put into effect, close quote. Now, what's interesting to me about this story, and there's more to the story, you can read it for yourself. I mean, I'm glad, praise be to God. Thank you, Bishop, for, for rescinding this now that you are, are, are able to do so. I'm glad you were able to do so, especially for the sake of you, those employees in your diocese that had a conscientious objection to taking, or they had a, maybe they had a medical reason. Maybe them and their doctor got together and they said, this is not for you, it's dangerous to you, or whatever. I don't know their reasoning, but I know that there is a, a group of people on planet Earth who are not able or are not willing to, to take the, the vaccine, and, and their religious objections were not, were not being accounted for. So praise be to God for that. But a couple of thoughts came to my mind in looking at this story. Number one, uh, how many more dioceses will now come out? Praise be to God. Wouldn't it be amazing to see several more dioceses come out and rescind their vaccine mandates now that uh, this Supreme Court decision has come down and block this? That would be great. Praise God. We would love to see that. Uh, number two, maybe I, I don't I don't honestly know the answer to this, but I'm, it made me think about um, did any diocese sue the Biden administration over this issue? I mean, you had all kinds of organizations suing states sued. Daily Wire sued. I mean, <clears throat> lots of people sued the government over this issue, which is how it got to the Supreme Court. But I don't know. Guys, tell me if I'm wrong. But I don't remember a single story where a diocese sued the Biden administration over violating these rights of these people, you know, imposing these, these draconian fines upon them. I wonder why that is. I wonder why they did not do that. So that made me think about that. The other thing I thought about this morning in reading this story about this Tennessee's, Tennessee diocese rescinding its vax uh, requirement now that the Supreme Court uh, case has been handed down is it made me think about the early church trying to grow and fulfill the mandate of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to go forth to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, it's the idea being to start in Israel and spread to the four corners of the earth. And to do so, they, they went to the very heart of the Roman Empire to have maximum effect. You know, Peter and Paul, they go. The, the Christian church is established there. It struggles through hard times. But God, you is. Did they go along with whatever government mandates were handed down to them? I mean, there were so many martyrs that suffered in those days. What would they have done if the government mandates something that violates the conscience? Would they have just gone along with it? It makes me think about how often we acquiesce to things that are immoral, 
right? And how maybe we need to have a, a stronger voice to stand up for those things, to defend the weak, to defend the innocent, as we do with, with the life issues, for instance, with the, the babies that are being aborted in the womb, standing up for them. Even though it's legal, we still fight the good fight. That's why Adrian went to Dallas over the weekend. That's why he's going to go to Austin. And that's why people are going to march in, in D.C. Even though it's hard, difficult, and there are consequences, it's still right to do so. And yet I wonder why not more dioceses didn't file lawsuits or did any diocese. Maybe there were. I don't know. Maybe there was. But at any rate, it made me think about that. And I'm like, we're living in difficult days. And it's time for us to just make that choice. I just make that choice. So I congratulate the diocese of Knoxville, Tennessee. Thank you for canceling this mandate. I hope and pray that, you're, that many other uh, bishops are going to follow suit and cancel theirs as well. Now that the OSHA mandate has been cast down. So praise be to God for that. Uh, here's a story. I wonder, can you guys name, uh, pop quiz, Adrian and uh, Rudy, can you guys name the top 10 richest men on planet Earth? Uh, yeah. And number one is mm-hmm. me. Really? Yep. What? I have the first. <laughs> I did not the know. fathers? I did. I, I was <laughs> unaware of your vast wealth. I'm going to guess number one, Jeff Bezos. He's on the list, but he's not number he's one. He's not number one. No. Huh. Mm-mm. Uh, Elon Musk. That's number one. Really? Yes. Huh. Warren Buffett. He's on the list. Okay. Mm, Zuckerberg. Definitely on the list. Uh, let's see. Who else could it be? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, could that, it you're, be you're done, right? Now? I mean, like, what other name do you have? <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that could go on. You, there's at least one more person that you should be able to name. Hmm. Who could that be? Hunter that's... Biden? Hunter Biden. Wow. <laughs> let's no, see. No, not Hunter be? Biden. No, sir. You should be able to name this person. This, this person's in the news all the time. Really? Give us a hint. Uh... Uh, doorways. 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 It's not Amazon. Doorways to where? It's not Facebook. <laughs> it's not. Come on, Tesla. You should get this. All right, do you guys give up? One yeah. more clue. Uh, one more clue. Okay, TikTok times up. Okay, thank you, thank you. Times up. Praise <laughs> be to God. All right, so here's the list: Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. Bernard Arnault. Oh, of Bernard course. Arnault. His, you would have known that. Uh, no, I have no idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, who is, I have no of idea. Of course, Bernard. Bernard Arnault is, and his family. Bill Gates is on the list. You oh, should have gotten Bill, Bill Gates. Gates. Bill. I said doorways. Oh, my goodness. I mean, doorways? But yeah. yeah Gates. Doorways. Oh, I didn't want to get, like, if I said windows, you'd be like, oh, Bill Gates. If I said Bill and Melinda, you'd be like, oh, Bill Gates. So it was too easy. I had, to, I had to make it a little challenging. So Bill Gates is on the list. Larry Ellison. You know who that is? No. Mm, All right. Sounds familiar. How about Larry Page? Nope. Mm-mm. Sergey Brin. Is he Russian? Uh, probably. I don't know. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is on the list. Steve Ballmer. Not to be confused with Steve Bowman from That Man is You. Right, right. Uh, Steve Ballmer <laughs> and Warren Buffett are on the list. Now... Here's a little bit of the story I saw out of the BBC. Wealth of world's 10 richest men doubled in pandemic, Oxfam says. The pandemic has made the world's wealthiest far richer, but has led to more people living in poverty, according to the charity Oxfam. Lower incomes of the world's poorest contributed to the death of 21,000 people each day, its report claims. But the world's 10 richest men have been have more than doubled 
their collective fortunes since March 2020, Oxfam said. Oxfam typically releases a report on global inequality at the start of the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos. That event usually sees thousands of corporate and political leaders, celebrities, campaigners, economics, economists, journalists gather in the Swiss ski resort for panel discussions, drinks, parties, and schmoozing. Don't you love that? It's like, let's all get together and talk about how horrible things are on planet Earth. While having a, a, a fine cocktail at a <laughs> exclusive <laughs> ski resort <laughs> that the world's poorest can't get into. You know, it's like... I felt to receive my invite. I, I did, too. Well, I also didn't get invited to Rudy's Chili, either. It's in the mail. So, there's that. Uh, oh, Jeeves didn't send you the invite? No, oh. Jeeves didn't. Oh. However, the article goes on to say, for the second year running, the meeting scheduled for this week will be online only after the emergence of the Omicron variant derailed plans to return to an in-person event. This week's discussion will include the likely future path of the pandemic vaccine uh, equity and the energy transition. So there's some buzzwords for you. Uh, Danny's, uh, Danny, whose last name I'm not going to even try to pronounce. It's got so many syllables in it. Oxfam's GB's chief executive said the charity timed the, res- the report each year to coincide with Davos to attract the attention of economic business and political elites. Quote, this year, what's happening is off the scale, he said. He goes on to say, there's been a new billionaire created almost every day during this pandemic. Can I say that again? There's been a new billionaire created almost every day during this pandemic. Meanwhile, 99% of the world's population are worse off because of lockdowns, lower international trade, less international tourism, And as a result of that, 160 million more people have been pushed into poverty. Something is deeply flawed with our economic system, he added. While collectively their wealth grew from 700 billion to 1.5 trillion, there is significant variation between them, with Mr. Musk's fortune growing by more than 1,000%, while Mr. Gates rose by a modest and mere paltry 30%. The 10 richest men got that much richer, while everybody else got that much poorer. It's crazy. We'll be right back. We are a young and diverse generation, helping those in need and promoting human rights. We care for the environment. We embrace authentic witnesses and dream of a better world. Our passion comes from God, who loves us even when we fall and cheers on our victories. If you sometimes wonder, is there something more? Then come and see at catholicscomehome.com. Protestants like to use James 2, 10 through 11 against the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sin because James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But James can't be denying the doctrine of mortal and venial sin because in 1.15 he affirms it, saying that sin in its beginning stages doesn't bring death, venial sin, whereas it does in its more mature stages, mortal sin. The point James is making in James 2.10-11 is that we must keep all the commandments in order to avoid incurring the guilt of transgressing the law. We can't say to the Lord on Judgment Day, Lord, I only broke one commandment but kept the other nine. 
So James 2, 10 through 11 is simply a misfire in trying to take down the Catholic belief of mortal and venial sin. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Rudy Carlos here, now your headline news. The Hill reports Ukraine blames Russia for cyber attack against government agencies. In a statement, Russia's Ministry of Digital Development said that all evidence indicates that Russia is behind the cyber attack. Moscow continues to wage a hybrid war and is actively building up its forces in information and cyberspace, the ministry said. Microsoft said on Saturday that a dozen of their computers at unspecified Ukrainian government agencies were infected with destructive malware disguised as ransomware, according to the Associated Press. And Life News reports Texas sues Planned Parenthood abortion biz to recover $10 million in tax dollars it refused to pay. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed a lawsuit against Planned Parenthood on Thursday to recover more than $10 million in taxpayer funds that the abortion chain refused or received after the state defunded it in 2016. Planned Parenthood affiliates in Texas continued to collect money from the Texas Medicaid program from 2016 to 2021 while it challenged the defunding action in court, according to the lawsuit. However, the abortion chain ultimately lost its cause. Now Paxton says the law requires Planned Parenthood to return that money, approximately $10 million in taxpayer funds. It's unthinkable that Planned Parenthood would continue to take advantage of funding knowing that they were not entitled to keep it, Paxton said in a statement. I will not allow them to benefit from this abhorrent conduct after they were caught violating medical standards and lying to law enforcement. Texas took action to defund Planned Parenthood from its Medicaid program in 2015 after undercover videos from the Center of Medical Progress exposed unethical and potentially illegal practices involving Planned Parenthood's aborted baby body parts trade. Breitbart reports MIT research scientist says kids should not receive COVID vaccines. And the AP reports tsunami threat recedes from huge Pacific volcanic eruption. The tsunami threat around the Pacific from a huge undersea volcanic eruption began to recede on Sunday while the extent of damage to Tonga remained unclear. Satellite images showed this spectacular eruption that took place Saturday evening with a plume of ash, steam, and gas rising like a mushroom above the blue Pacific waters. A sonic boom could be heard as far away as Alaska. In Tonga, it sent tsunami waves crashing across the shore and people rushing to higher ground. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said there has not yet been any official reports of injuries or deaths in Tonga, but cautioned that authorities still hadn't made contact with some coastal areas and smaller islands. Communication with Tonga remains very limited, and I know there's, uh, and I know that it is causing a huge amount of anxiety for the Tongan community there, Ardern said. She said there has been significant damage to boats and shops along the Tongan coastline. The capital, Nuku'alofa, was covered with a thick film of ash. Arden said, contaminating water supplies and making fresh water a vital need. And the Telegraph reports, Donald Trump promises comeback at Arizona rally and claims capital rioters are political prisoners. And those are your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God and all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Uh, Mary Cuff is joining us right now. Dr. Mary Cuff has a Ph.D. in literature from Catholic University of America, homeschooling mom, also teaches with Homeschool Connections. Good morning to you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Uh, we, we loved your article over at the Crisis Magazine, The Beauty of Austerity. And I thought it was a, a, a nice, inspirational, uh, I think, article. But it also made me think about 
the struggle of some religious communities right now who are hoping to keep their identity, keep their original charism, and finding it more and more difficult to do so. The pressures coming out of certain dicasteries out of the Vatican are making it uh, very difficult for them to maintain that original founding principle of their communities. And uh, this story of St. Maravallis, I think, could be an, an inspiration one to them. Maybe you can start by telling us who is St. Maravallis. Sure, yes. Uh, she was a, a Spanish Carmelite um, mother superior, prioress. Um, actually, she was a prioress most of her, most of her life um, um, at many different Carmels that she, that she founded. Um, she was born in 1891 um, to actually to the, the Spanish ambassador to the Vatican, of all things. Oh, wow. And yeah, and felt very early on a vocation to the Carmelite life. But her mother was kind of hesitant, wouldn't wouldn't agree to her vocation until uh, 1919. So she was kind of a, a late vocation in a way, as well as an early one. She knew by age five she wanted to be a nun, and her mom wouldn't let her join until wow. she was 29, um, which is kind of an inspiration already there, the, the endurance that, yeah. that she must have had. It reminds me um, of St. Rita and, and several other saints that were in the same boat yes. as little girls even setting up their own hermitages and, and all right. of that. Right, yes. Well, she, so she finally joins the Carmel. Um, is there for about three years and receives this intense calling to found a new Carmel um, on the Cerro, which is the, it's a mountain in the very geographic center of the Iberian Peninsula. And, and I mean, she's not even a fully professed nun yet, but everyone says, that sounds awesome. And they let her do it. Mm. Um, she builds the monastery and the communists come um, in the Spanish Civil War and they take Madrid and... They almost kill her and her entire convent. Uh, they, they've loaded them up on a bus. They're taking them out into the forest to kill them like they had done their chaplain just a few weeks before. And something changes their mind. And they, wow. take, them, they take them to town and put them in a flat. And they say, you're basically under house arrest. Hmm. And she manages to flee with her nuns to Salamanca. And she starts a new convent there. Um, the day that convent is finished being built... Uh, the Bishop of Madrid writes her and says, can you come back? Franco has retaken Madrid. It's safe mm. now. So she says, well, I've got this convent here and I want it to stay. Great. Um, but I'll take three nuns and we'll go back. And so now there are two Carmels. Now, Carmelite monasteries, they're, they're autonomous from each other. So she leaves that monastery. There's a new prioress and she, she returns to the Cerro. It's completely destroyed, mm. completely raised to the ground. And there's no funds, no help to rebuild it. So she and her three nuns build it back up. And she would go on to do this, build Carmel's from nothing, um, almost 20 more times. And she would <laughs> wow. send nuns to India. They founded three convents in India. And in her 80s, she was trying to found one in Japan. She even tried to go to Japan herself because they were running into some problems. And her bishop was like, nope, you're not leaving Spain. I need you. <laughs> So unfortunately, the, the Japanese Carmel never, never managed to come to fruition, but almost 20 Carmels um, in, the, in the space of one life. And um, each Carmel, she would build on the ruins of an ancient Carmel that, that was very dear to the Carmelite order, either a Carmel that Teresa of Avila had lived in or John of the Cross or had some deep connection to the Amazing. Carmelite spirituality. And this monastery had fallen into disrepair and was just ruins. And she would buy the land and start a new Carmel on it. 
So, I mean, th- that aspect of her life alone is just mind blowing that she, she was managed, managed to do all of this. Um, yeah, and, that's and, amazing. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of people, in fact, I've been wanting to do more programming on the Spanish Civil War because more priests were murdered by the communists and anarchists and fascists in that civil war than even in the French Revolution. Over right. 6,000 and many religious communities were wiped out, as you as you intimated. So what a scary time to have to go through that. And she did so with great courage. Uh, but uh, we're going to be up against a break here in a few moments. So I don't want to I don't want to go too far, but. I know that uh, in in all of this amazing story, she also was entering a time when the church was seeing great upheaval, post Vatican II, and you know, and so many things were changing so rapidly, and yet she had a very strong conviction of their founding principles. Yes, she did. So, in addition to fighting the communists, she she fights the modernizers. Um, she, you know, deeply respectful of the Pope, deeply respectful of the, the council process, but was very concerned about sort of the winds of change and sort of where they could blow. And um, the, starting in the 50s, there was increased pressure to sort of modernize, update, you know, we need to be different. And she said, no, um, the Carmelites need to follow Teresa the way she laid down the constitutions. It's worked. And I mean, she founded all these Carmels because she got a flood of vocations. There wasn't room at her Carmel. So she had to create new ones to cope with the huge influx of vocations. And she said, you know, why break a good thing? Um, they, you know, people want austerity. They want the original rule. And there was this pressure on her to, to update, to modernize. And unfortunately, a lot of these modernizations have been sort of repackaged in 2018 are now being forced on a lot of these same Carmels that got an exemption initially uh, from Rome to to not have to do this, um, to to join uh, monastic federations, to have joint um, novitiates with other monasteries, things like this that sort of actually are prohibited by the Theresean constitution of 1571. And she said, we don't want to change anything because a saint made this and it has hmm. made saints and it is making saints. Um, and it's what got them through the Spanish civil war. They don't need to suddenly update um, just, just to update. And they were going to be forced to um, the, the global order was going to force them to do this. Um, and she was distraught and she said, all we, all we can do is pray, but prayer is the most powerful weapon. So they actually recreated the exact prayer regimen that they did during the Spanish civil war to pray deliverance um, against these new rules. And Pope Paul VI intervened and said, leave them alone. They don't have to do that. And then in 1990, uh, in 1990, John Paul II actually um, created and approved um, constitutions based off of her her pushback, which are essentially the original constitution. So now Carmelite um, monasteries can choose if they want to be in the updated ones called the 1991 constitutions or the original ones, which are called the 1990 constitutions. And hmm. it's it's thanks to her that they have managed to preserve intact wow. the original constitutions. All right, hold that thought. Dr. Mary Cuff is our guest. The article is The Beauty of Austerity. We're going to talk more about austerity coming up after this very short break. You can find the article, though, linked up at crisismagazine.com, crisismagazine.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And uh, don't forget to get your car raffle tickets. We're giving away a Mercedes. You could win. Go to grnonline.com for the details. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. 
most of us can recall a childhood memory of innocence and a peace that only comes from God. Yet with our busy schedules today, many families don't attend church weekly or spend much time teaching their children about God. So many families now are burdened by financial and family challenges, substance abuse, and other worries. But there is hope. Studies show that people who pray regularly and practice their Christian faith are less stressed, financially stable, more compassionate, optimistic, healthier, and happier. Experience a positive difference in your life and for your family by coming home to your parish. Learn more by visiting catholicscomehome.org today. Here you may find answers to your questions and discover how Jesus and the sacraments will bless your family. There's no pressure or risk. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Dr. Mary Cuff is our guest, and her article, The Beauty of Austerity, is on crisismagazine.com. We're talking about the life of St. Miravales, who, a Carmelite in Spain, who had to go through quite a bit. The Spanish uh, Civil War in the 30s was so tragic for the Catholic Church. I mean, over 6,000 priests and religious were murdered, more than even in the French Revolution, which was already very horrible. So it's a pretty big event that happened there, and she she really she really soldiered through that, her and her community very very well. So we're talking about that, but also the the struggle to keep and maintain their original charism in an age of the church that was had so much upheaval. Welcome back to the program, Mary Cuff. Thanks for having me. Um, I wanted to just I wanted to bring out the one point as a follow up to that is do you, do you think that the order would have fared as well? her or community in particular, if they didn't have the strong personality of St. Maravallis, the strong, you know, leadership, the strong person uh, in her to sort of lead the way, to be, uh, to have that courage to face communists and, and, and to persevere through it all? Well, she definitely didn't think so. Um, I, I think, I think probably the answer is yes, but she, she uh, once said, people only pay attention to me because of my name, um, because it's a weird name. Uh, it means wonders, right? Mm. Uh, she's, she was named after the wonders of God. Um, and, and she was embarrassed by her name. And she said, if I was named Maria, no one would even pay attention to me, um, <laughs> which is probably not true. But uh, it, shows, it shows great humility that, that she thought it was just a weird name was what, what uh, got her some success. Um, she she attracted deeply religious women though. Um, and I think sort of like recognized like, um, so yes, she was a huge contributing force to the Mm -hmm. sort of the vitality of the Carmelite order at that time. But uh, she told her nuns, I'm staying at the Cerro when the, I mean, communists were attacking the monastery. They were trying to light it on fire. The nuns had to stay up all night long, taking shifts to sort of watch out for this, for attacks and, um, 
put out fires. And she said, anyone who wants to, I mean, she was deeply connected with, you know, Spanish aristocracy that she said, you know, I can get you out of Spain. And they all said, no, we're staying with you. Um, we're staying here. In fact, they had all decided that they didn't even want to flee if the opportunity arose. They wanted to stay and die as martyrs. Yeah. Um, I mean, God didn't decide to have them be martyrs, Praise but be they God. were all ready to, to a nun. They were ready to be martyrs. So it wasn't just her great personality kept this going, but I think it's the Carmelite tradition. And she recognized that, that the Carmelite tradition sort of crafts you into a saint. And so she was surrounded by women who were contributing to this as well. So I think it was very much a community effort um, with the grace of God. You know, that kind of reminds me of the fact that, I mean, there's there were many, many orders during this time period that went through very similar things. But most of them, if not all of them, did not get the uh, the privilege that these Carmelites did. I'm thinking of, you know, the, the Passionist received the, their, their role was uh, inspired directly by the Holy Ghost and by Our Lady. And it was written down, and, and then they, they changed their constitutions afterwards. And same thing, I believe it was, I forget the name of the order, but they are the ones who, uh, their motto was uh, never reformed because they never needed reform, and yet they had a reform. <laughs> and, so we're, and then so now we're, we're in the situation. What do all these communities, what can they learn from the story and uh, something to imitate? And I, I know you said in the story, you know, prayer is the most powerful thing. But, you know, sometimes we're like, well, yes, prayer is powerful. And there's a misattributed quote to St. Augustine, uh, pray as if everything depends on God, but act as if everything depends on you. So what practically, along with prayer, could uh, an order do in, in imitation of her? Well, I think a lot of orders, um, whether they, they know of her or not, um, are are sort of taking a, a page out of her book these days in that a lot of a lot of orders that have sort of success in attracting vocations um, or orders that um, have sort of stepped back their reforms and are and are trying to be more authentic to their original charism um, they're being rewarded by it and they've noticed and so now um, uh, Vatican is trying to push the same rules that Maravius fought. Um, and they're now, instead of highly recommending them, they are now requiring them. And a lot of monastic communities are pushing back and saying, that will kill our vocations. Um, you know, we don't want to be like these orders that are dying out. They were the ones that um, that that agreed to to go along with these federations and these updated rules and sort of this, you know, modern people need to have it a little bit easier and we don't need to be so austere and um and and these modern um these modern orders now are saying wait a minute why do a broken thing that we've already got 60 years of information is broken yeah. and and i think the thing that they can take from maravius is that she was faithful to rome and she was faithful to her charism and she said both not either or both um and, you know, she said it was a miracle that the Pope intervened because she didn't think he was going to. But he he did. He intervened. Um, two different popes intervened twice um, and saved what was so great and that she knew was the source of her success. So I think I think that's really the message that she has for us today is never compromise both, you know. <laughs> Amen. 
Uh, Dr. Cuff, you know, this story reminds me of the the sudden boon in Catholic lay faithful looking for the Latin Mass, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think attracted so many vocations to the Carmels, and, and what what do what parallels do you see with the influx of people looking towards tradition nowadays? Well, one of the things that Maravillas insisted on in her Carmels was simplicity and poverty and austerity and faithfulness. And that's just, there's something that's just so real about that. You know that you're really doing something when you are trying to, you know, instead of conform something to you or kind of sort of, you know, oh, this makes me feel good. Like, no, it doesn't make you feel good. It, it, um, but it, but it feels right, and it, and you know it's right, and you know that it is shaping you. And I think a lot of lay Catholics are, we're, we're kind of tired of the the, the hamburger helper uh, version of Catholicism that we were fed <laughs> as kids, and we we want the steak dinner. And a lot of us got a taste of it and said, "Wow, can I have more of that?" And I think that's what attracted the nuns to Maravillas is that you know, spiritually, she was saying steak dinner. <laughs> All the yeah. time. <laughs> she reminds me so much of Maximilian Kolbe and uh, one of my patrons who, when he went to Japan, Adrian bought me a great book on his time in Japan for Christmas. And I've just really, really been loving it. It reminded me so much of this. Uh, he, hundreds came because of, I think, of his charism, of his personality, of his austerity. And yet many realized in the process that they weren't. At, they weren't cut out or they didn't they didn't they weren't ready for the the difficulties involved in this holy poverty that he embraced to to a great extent in fact uh, there are a couple of stories of these priests that would come to try in hopes of carrying on the mission but they would fall up, fall away quickly because they realized they really didn't have the same level of commitment to this austere life as Max Colbe did. So talk about the austerity part of this uh, story of St. Maravallis. Um, what kind of austerity are we talking about, and how did her community fare after her passing? Um, my understanding is that her, her community after her passing very much held on to what she what she set down. And there are, there are lots of 1990s Carmels uh, throughout the world. There's many in the United States. Um, and, and the, the great majority of them, their vocations are booming and austerity for them means um, strict enclosure. So they, they remain in their convents. They don't sort of um, pop out um, for a fun time or to, you know, go do stuff. Um, you know, because they recognize they are a cloistered order and mm. they take that very seriously. Um, some of them take it so seriously that they don't have a digital presence. Some of them don't allow their faces to be photographed because they want to maintain a digital enclosure as well. Um, so they, they really think through the sort of what these rules mean for them and they try to follow them, you know, deeply, um, um, uh, one of the things that she did with her austerity was her personal austerity was she would only sleep three hours a night and she would sleep wow. sitting up. Wow. Um, but this was a personal uh, decision. She didn't require her nuns to do it. It was, you know, it was a thing that she decided that she needed to do. Um, but she did not require her nuns to do it. Um, so she recognized, you know, different people have different levels of, of, of austerity that they can, can achieve or, or need to achieve. And she achieved one that's, unimaginable to me um and but she recognized she recognized that and there in her community today you said that you you think that they're still surviving persevering 
There, yes, there's uh, many of, of um, the communities that, that follow after her tradition, um, the 1990s Carmels in Spain. There's there's quite a number of them, and there's there's quite a few in the United States. And I've I've been in contact with with a few of the U.S. ones, and they they seem they seem amazing. You know, uh, the, we mentioned a, a minute ago or two minutes ago or a couple of minutes back about sort of like the the, the data is in, right? We've had 60 mm-hmm. years of data. And if we if there was uh, if you had a company whose uh, CEO had 60 years of, you know, falling religious vocations and falling the sacramental baptisms and uh, uh, sacramental marriages and parishes closing. I mean, every data point is is negative. You wouldn't be CEO for very long, and yet we're seeing that in the Holy Catholic Church, especially religious communities. Do you see a turnaround? I mean, do you, is that part of the reason why you wanted to tell the story of St. Maravallis? Yes, um, yes, very much so, um, especially especially now once I, I, I found out about her when I was actually researching the uh, 2018 requirements for monastic communities that, that's receiving such pushback. Um, I'd never heard of her before. And uh, she, you know, she she pushed back the first time and there are nuns pushing back now. And it's it's just crazy that that Mm. they're trying to do the same thing that failed 60 years ago nowadays. Um, Wow. We're out of time. I'm sorry to have to cut you off, but uh, what a great uh, what a great article. I highly encourage everybody to check it out. The Beauty of Austerity over at CrisisMagazine.com. Dr. Mary Cuff, God love you. Thank you for your time today. We're very grateful to you. No, thank you very much. All right. Praise be to God. St. Maravallis, pray for us. Pray for all the religious communities fighting to keep their their first founding principles and their life and their charism. Let's pray for them today. That is going to do it for hour number one. If you can join us in the second hour, we would love to have you. You can always hang out with us live on our video streams on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, or Odyssey, or wherever else. They're all linked up on our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. And don't forget, you might win a Mercedes. You could get raffle tickets on our website, grnonline.com. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Between now and February 21st, the GRN is raffling off a 2022 GLA 250 in Midnight Black. And this sweet beauty of a car can be all yours by going to grnonline.com and purchasing five tickets for $100 or $25 for one. All proceeds support Catholic Radio on the GRN. Now that's a deal that's all right, all right, all right. 
Are Christians guilty of hate speech for voicing their belief that homosexual acts are immoral and contrary to human nature? Many in the culture think so. So what can we say in response? First, it's not hate speech to say a particular behavior is inappropriate human behavior, given our nature as human beings. If that were true, well then any negative moral evaluation of behavior would be hate speech. But that's absurd. Second, the assertion is inconsistent with itself. Why can't Christians have a negative moral evaluation of homosexual behavior, but yet the objector can negatively judge a Christian's behavior for opposing homosexuality? Isn't he guilty of the very thing he accuses Christians of? My friends, it's not hate speech to say a particular behavior is not befitting of human beings. We must judge actions, but always with respect for the person. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Your Odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host. Joe McLean, so good to be out with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. You have survived the weekend. Congratulations. You get to get back at it. Just imagine what you're going to accomplish this week. It's going to be great. I just, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have some great conversations for you. We just wrapped up one with Dr. Mary Cuff about the beauty of austerity. And that article is over at Catholic or at thecrisismagazine.com. Crisismagazine.com. You can look for Mary Cuff or the beauty of austerity, the life of St. Maravallis and how her community fought to maintain their identity post-Vatican II and were successful through the uh, uh, miraculous intercession of Pope St. Paul VI. So, a uh, great story. You should check that out. We'll link up to it at some point on our social feeds, which are going to be, you can find uh, linked up on our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt. It's going to be a great hour. This hour, we have a good news story for you. We have Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, plus our game show, Fear and Trembling, with a brand new prize sponsor. We're looking forward to it. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. Who's the sponsor this week? This week, we have uh, Saint Wave, which is a Catholic designer and an Etsy store, so you can really? check them out. Saint Wave. What kind Saint of stuff Wave. do they do? Uh, they do some really fun 80s-inspired, you know, cultural-inspired <laughs> things. So. 80s-inspired, like Miami Vice themes? Yeah. Or like OP. Like, oh, man. <clears throat> Remember corduroy shorts? I miss oh. those aesthetics, man. Man, corduroy shorts. Where, like, all the coolest kids had corduroy shorts. <laughs> Not me. Okay. I had, like, the knockoff OP stuff from, like, the flea market. <laughs> What is that? Ocean Pacific? Yeah. OP, I remember man. that. 
Yeah. I thought we were talking about Dominicans. Speaking of which, Adrian Fonseca <laughs> on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Praise be to God. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> it's good to be here. And uh, I love how we're already talking about Dominicans. I just hear OP. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. And I'm like, wait. wow. This what do you is mean, great. we? <laughs> you, you said. You, were, you said. OP. I was like a dog. About, his ears like. Burp. I, was, I was talking about 80s fashion, not, not Dominicans. The OP was, had, had, was, had fashion back then. They wore the same outfit. Did they? It's, it's you know it's universal. It's been they're been, surfers. It's been in in vogue since the twelve mm-hmm. hundreds. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do the Cistercians have better habits though? I want to know. What I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about, dude. What? Okay. <laughs> Who? Which religious order has the best habits, and why is it the Dominicans? I was starting I, to I think of all of them, and then I got narrowed very quickly. <laughs> I was going to say either the Norbertines or... Norbertines is pretty good. Pretty but similar. I like, the, I don't... like the traditional passionist habit. Yeah, Black I do one? too. I yeah. do too. But, you know, the, the Norbertines are good, but, you know, they don't carry a rosary. They don't wear a rosary in their belt because that's not part of their habit. But the Dominicans do. You know who so else already does? already better. Franciscans. Well, they took that from the Dominicans. So hey, whatever. O- uh, o- <laughs> they not. They're not only OP, but they're also the OG. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is going great. Can leave now. Very quick. <laughs> oh, praise be to God. So uh, great weekend, I guess. So we talked a little bit about that last hour, Adrian. You were up in Dallas area. Nothing to do with the hostage situation. No, I no. Instead, yeah. it's about the hostage situation of the uh, unborn and the being yeah. murdered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was there for the was March it a for great life. crowd. It was unfortunately it was not a great crowd. Aww. It was about a third of the size of pre-pandemic oh, no. uh, sizes, but it was that we filled up the parking lot in front of the uh, courthouse. The reason why we do a March for Life in Dallas is because Roe v. Wade was started was passed in Dallas, Texas, okay. and so we always do a march there as well as our the Capitol in Austin. And uh, I understand our colleague Dave Palmer was there. He was. He was okay. there, and I saw him there. I saw the Dominican sisters there, the Vietnamese sisters. Praise God. And so that was a very, very Speaking good blessing. of Dave Palmer, you know, he is like the car raffle ticket uh, king. He, you know, he and his volunteers and his people, they sell so many car raffle tickets every year. It's just amazing to see the love and support from our, our Dallas market. So thank you for that. But it, no matter where you're at listening to me right now across the Guadalupe Radio Network, it's a wonderful opportunity to not only win a very cool car at the end of February, it's a Mercedes GLA 250, but also to support that local Catholic radio station. You can get your car raffle tickets on our website at grnonline.com. But if you really want to be super cool, call the local station manager and ask them what the best way is and how you might be able to support them in their efforts to sell these raffle tickets to your friends, your family, or at your parish. That would be a major help, and we are blessed because we get to use the proceeds to keep Catholic Radio live and strong all across the GRN, right where you are, dear listener. Go to grnonline.com for the details. Scroll down to you see the Mercedes and click on that. Let's jump in. Let's pray. Let's get started. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now your good news with Rudy Carlos. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Rudy Carlos here, now your good news story for the day. Epic Times reports man goes the extra mile to care for mother-in-law with dementia. Moves his wife's heart. 
Moved by her husband's unbreakable bond with her mother, who has frontotemporal dementia, a North Carolina woman is sharing her touching story with the world to raise the visibility of the sometimes misunderstood disease and prove that love can overcome any adversity. Torrin Hughes's mother, 82-year-old Pat Satterfield, first started behaving differently in 1998. Mom's co-workers started notici- noticing changes in her behavior, a lack of empathy, unusual childlike actions, disconnection, and difficulty performing her duties, Turan, who is 54, explained to the Epic Times. She was referred to the com- company physician and then to several others, but she was misdiagnosed at each one. However, her true diagnosis was determined by UNC Neurology in 2001. Pick's disease, or FTD dementia, according to Turan. While relieved to finally have a diagnosis, Turan was subdued by the knowledge that there was no cure. All she and her husband, 64-year-old Jamie Hughes, could do was keep her safe. The couple took Pat into their Creedmoor, North Carolina home in January 2014. "2014. She was walking, talking, and full of life, said Turan. Jamie retired, and we sold our two small businesses to stay home with her. Explaining her mother's situation during the time, Turan said she fed herself and went to the bathroom on her own. However, she behaved like a big baby and had to be watched at every second. It was a very trying time for her and for us. Our saving grace was that she was always happy. She never complained, nor was she combative, Turan added. Unable to read or watch TV, Pat would pace the house restlessly. Over time, she began talking less, eating less, and sleeping more, eventually becoming bedbound. Turan, who works at in clinical trials, continued working while Jamie, a former law enforcement officer, took her role, took on the role of Pat's primary caregiver. He loves her unconditionally, as if it was her his own mother, said Turan. He never complains or takes a day off. She is his first thought in the morning, and the last thing he does at night is making sure she's resting comfortably. He says he will never leave she will never leave his house to go to a nursing home. He will do whatever it takes to keep her with us. They share a language of their own, said Turan, and nobody lights up her mother's eyes such as Jamie does. I feel like the most blessed human on the planet when I see the two of them together, she shared. I have asked him many times why he does what he does. His only answer is because I love you, and that's what love does. Pick's disease, Turan explained, typically magnifies the personality of the patient. Once a happy, outgoing woman, Pat became a hyper and excitable when the disease took hold of her, dancing, pacing, and talking constantly. In the early years, this childlike behavior alienated her from her friends and extended family. Despite her mother's deteriorating condition, Turan practices gratitude daily. We all think we have the best mom in the world, and we're all right, she said. She took us on cruisers every summer, had the pool in her backyard so all the neighborhood kids could have a place to go, and she helped the neighbor- neighborhood girls that babysat me with their school projects. She made dresses for them, she recalled. Pick's disease, she said, is not as rare as it once does. Early diagnoses and patients are vital. I have witnessed many frustrated caregivers in public streaming at their loved one over insignificant issues, she explained, advising, remember to take a step back, breathe, and move forward with love and understanding. And that's good news. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed Gonzalo de Amarante. Born in 1187, when he was carried to the baptismal font, the infant fixed his eyes on the crucifix with a look of extraordinary love. Then, when he had grown up and been ordained a priest, he is said to have resigned his rich benefice to his nephew and to have spent 14 years upon a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. On his return, being repulsed by his nephew, who set the dogs on him as a vagrant, he was supernaturally directed to enter the order in which the office began and ended with the Ave Maria. He accordingly became a Dominican. Huh, imagine that. 
but what was allowed by his superiors to live as a hermit, during which time he built largely with his own hands a bridge over the river Tamega, when the laborers whom he persuaded to help him had no wine to drink, and he was afraid that they would go on strike, he betook himself to prayer. And then his hitting the rock with his stick, an abundant supply of excellent wine spouted forth from the fissure. Again, when provisions failed, he went to the riverside to summon the fishes, and who came to his call and jumped out of the river, competing for the privilege of being eaten in so worthy a cause. Similarly, we read that when he was preaching to the people desiring to make them understand the effects of the church's censure upon the soul, he excommunicated a basket of bread, and the loaves at once became black and corrupt. Then to show that the church can restore to her communion those who humble acknowledge their fault, he removed the excommunication, and the loaves recovered their whiteness and their wholesome savor. Blessed Gonzalo died on January 10th, but his feast day is kept on this day by the Dominicans. He died in 1259 and was canonized by Pope Pius IV on the 16th of September, 1561. Blessed Gonzalo de Amarante, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were accustomed to fast. People came to Jesus and objected. Why do the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old cloak. If he does, its fullness pulls away, the new from the old, and the tear gets worse. Likewise, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the skins are ruined. Rather, new wine is poured into fresh wineskins. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Offlicate, an 11th century archbishop in Macedonia, said, Quote, he also calls himself a bridegroom, not only as a betrothing to himself virgin minds, but because the time of his first coming is not a time of sorrow, nor of sadness to believers, neither does it bring with it toil, but rest. For it is without any works of the law, giving rest by baptism, by which we easily obtain salvation without toil. But the sons of the nuptials or of the bridegroom are the apostles, because they, by the grace of God, are made worthy of, of every heavenly blessing by the grace of God and partakers of every joy. Close quote. The Obligate. Pray for us. Adrian, you got anything? It's about a minute and a half or so. Yes. Praise be to God. The passage today is absolutely wonderful because it really reflects the idea of the new wineskins because it's referring back to the old and new law. Because what happens? The old law is not abolished in terms of, uh, if, like our Lord says explicitly. He says, I did not come to abolish law, but to fulfill it. So what does that mean for us today? Uh, the common response today, well, you have a lot of people who read the Bible for the first time. They're like, why don't we keep these, uh, these laws in Leviticus? Aren't we being bad Catholics if we're not following these old laws? 
what we fail to understand is that the old law was set up for a particular time in a particular place, but the moral law, the moral law of the old law remains. In fact, whenever our Lord says that he came to fulfill the law, what did our Lord do? Not, he did not abolish it. He perfected it by saying, it's not simply that you should not kill, but do not even hate your brother. In fact, let's go to another step forward. I command you to love your neighbor and to love God. And what does our Lord say? If you love God, you will keep his commandments. Amen. And that is the most fundamental part of the law is to love your Lord or God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then to remember what is love, but to will the good of the other for the sake of the other. Amen to that. Praise be to God. Thank you. Verboom.com forward slash GRN for your generous uh, sponsorship of our, our uh, gospel reflection. V, that's Verboom with a V. Verboom.com forward slash GRN. We're very grateful to you. All right. It's time to play our game, Fear and Trembling. So we're going to go to a break. We're going to come back and we're going to play our game, but we need a caller on the line to do so. It could be you. Uh, prizes are at stake. You might win. It's super easy and a lot of fun. 877-757-9424 is that phone number. 877-757-9424. If you've never played, play right now. 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Fear and Trembling is up next. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Protestants like to use James 2, 10 through 11 against the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sin because James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But James can't be denying the doctrine of mortal and venial sin because in 1.15 he affirms it, saying that sin in its beginning stages doesn't bring death, venial sin, whereas it does in its more mature stages, mortal sin. The point James is making in James 2, 10 through 11 is that we must keep all the commandments in order to avoid incurring the guilt of transgressing the law. We can't say to the Lord on Judgment Day, Lord, I only broke one commandment but kept the other nine. So James 2, 10 through 11 is simply a misfire in trying to take down the Catholic belief of mortal and venial sin. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. For 2,000 years, we've helped the poor and comforted the sick. We've educated generations of children, developed the scientific method and college system. We support marriage and human life. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are the Catholic Church. With over one billion in our family, sharing in the fullness of Christian faith in the church started by Jesus. If you've been away, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome home. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation 
by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show where we have a secret and hidden agenda. So please do me a favor and don't tell anybody what I'm about to tell you. You got to keep this just between us. Uh, but number one, we like to teach the faith, you know, so we find sneaky little ways to teach you new things about the Catholic Church that you did not know before, praise be to God. And just imagine the fun you'll have sharing that with friends and family. Number two, we like to have a laugh and a good time. And our callers tend to be great sports laughing with us. And we enjoy that most, I think. And then, of course, we give out prizes, which makes this a winner for everybody involved. But if you're new here, praise be to God, I have three Catholic trivia questions in front of me. But I do not ask the caller the question. So they don't need to know the answers, and they could still win. Not a single correct answer, and they still might win. It's possible. And the reason is because instead of asking them these questions, I will ask Rudy, and I will ask Adrian, one of which will be correct, and the other will be incorrect. And the caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to make a decision. Whom do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? The sponsor of our game show this week is Saint Wave. Based out of D.C., Saint Wave is a one-man operation, created and run by a convert to the Catholic faith, sometimes influenced by different 80s subcultures, other times by minimalist aesthetics, but always influenced by the heroes of the church. Though the designs stay up to date and are original, the greatest benefit is that they are an open opportunity to evangelize. Oh, and also while looking stylish. Our winner this week will receive a Life is Worth Living Fulton Sheen t-shirt. You can see St. Wave's latest designs and other items such as stickers, tote bags, and hats on their website, saintwave.net. Cool. I love uh, Fulton Sheen. Praise be to God. All Fulton Sheen swag is awesome. So that's awesome. That would be my religious name if I was religious. Uh, it used to be. Fulton Sheen Swag? It was for a time. <laughs> Remember? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Remember the good old days? Brother Fulton? Brother Fulton. That was super cool. Cool my, name. My kids had a great uh, great laugh at that. All right, let's go to the phones. Let's see who our contestant is right now. Pat, good morning to you. Thank you for calling in. Yes. Praise be to God. Good morning to you. Morning. Yes, good morning. How you doing, Pat? Oh, doing wonderful. Where are you calling from? From Katie. The Great Katie, Texas. Let's go. I think it's got the largest Bucky's on planet Earth there, if uh, I'm not I mistaken. Think so. yeah. At least yeah. the largest car wash on planet Earth yeah. there in Katie. So it's a great claim to fame. Now, where do you go to church, Pat? Epiphany. Nice. Okay. Praise be to God. Now, are you, you're, I think you're a first-time caller, so thank you for doing that. Now, are you familiar with the rules? Yeah. Well, I've heard other people play it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let me get. I, I'm on your side. So now I'm here to get you mm-hmm. into the cup. I'm sure. uh, I'm your best friend in the game. You got to watch out for Rudy and Adrian, <laughs> though. Okay. They okay. can be very tricky people. So let's see if we can't navigate these these troubling waters. Are you ready to go, Pat? I am. All right. Let's do this. I think we can get you uh, into the cup today. We're going to go to uh, Rudy first, as is our custom. Good morning to you, Rudy. And uh, are you Good ready? Morning. I am so ready. Are you sure? I've been preparing all weekend for this. Are you sure? Yes. Oh, yeah. Rudy, can Let's you tell it. me? Can you name for me the vestment the priest wears over his shoulders 
and around his hands at benediction. Yes, it's usually red, and it's called a Kappa Magna. Wow. Is, is it always red? Always. The Kappa Magna is always red. Kappa Magna, you say? Yes, sir. Hmm. I don't know, Pat. I think we should get a second opinion here. Let's go to Adrian. Adrian, can you tell me, or rather, can you name for me, the vestment the priest wears over his shoulders mm-hmm. and around his hands right. at benediction? Right. Mm-hmm. While I love the Kappa Magna, very beautiful, <laughs> I am actually going to go with a humeral veil. Humeral veil. Humeral veil. Humeral veil. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard of that before. Humeral yes. veil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Pat, here's the deal. Um, so the question is, what we call this particular piece of vestment that's worn on top of the shoulders, around the hands, at benediction. Brother uh, Adrian says it's called a humeral veil, but... Rudy seems to think it's called a Kappa Magna. 15 seconds on the clock. Who was right? Who was wrong? Pat, what say you? Well, that was easy. Survey says. Wow. Wow. I thought that was going to be a curveball. I'm offended. What is a Kappa Magna, by the way? (laughs) Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Adrian, go ahead. Yeah, it's it's the train... That is a so they call it a train like you know how a, uh-huh. a at a wedding the sure. the bride will have her mm-hmm. veil that's yeah. a, that's that's a train well the a cardinal a cardinal of the church wears oh, a kappa a cape once before that is a, a magna because it's the great one. cardinal Burke wore one like last year year before last at a He's pontifical high one mass. of the only cardinals if not the only cardinal who still uses it. it so that was super tricky guys but Pat she knew it congratulations Pat. You are not fooled. You You are in the cup. Praise God, you could win. Let's see if we can't double your chances. We're going to go to Adrian for this next question. Adrian. That's dangerous. Can you tell me, what is the first sign of devotion a Catholic makes upon entering the church? The first sign of devotion a Catholic makes makes Mm -hmm. upon entering the church? Yeah. Well, I mean... I go in and I genuflect before entering the pew, so okay. I'm going to say a genuflection. Ooh, is that the first one? Hmm. Let's just see what uh, Rudy has to say. Rudy, can you tell me what is the first sign of devotion, the very first sign of devotion a Catholic makes upon entering the church? You enter the church, you look to your right, you look to your left, what do you see? Oh, wow, I don't know. A receptacle of holy water. You grab Real. the holy water, you make the sign of the cross. Because you're entering a holy place. So you're saying the sign of the cross. Yes, sir. Okay. With holy water. So what is the first sign of devotion? That's the question. Uh, Brother Rudy seems to think it's the sign of the cross, but Adrian seems to think it's the genuflection before entering the pew. 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Pat, what say you? Rudy. 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 (laughs) Survey says. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations, Pat. You're, that, yeah, it wasn't tricky, right? That was straightforward, right, Pat? Right, correct. Yeah, super easy. Let's see if we can get you there for a perfect score today. Third question. I think you can do this. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think so. I think so. We're going to go back to question. Is it? You think this is the hardest question? This is easily the hardest question. This is definitely not the hardest question. This is, this is pretty straightforward. Let's see here. Uh, Rudy, can you yes, tell sir. me what liturgical color symbolizes hope and is worn on Sundays when no special feast is celebrated. Hope. Uh, Let's see. Hope. What does hope look like in a color? I'm going to say white, like a dove of hope. (laughs) 
emanating from the hands <laughs> of the Pope. Wow. What? Wow. Where is that coming from? That rhymes. You must be right. I guess. Did you say a dove of hope? White, like a dove of White, hope. like a dove of hope was your answer. Emanating. Huh. Okay. Yep. Do you that's write for Hallmark, by the way? I'm just curious. Uh, that's my side gig. I guess. <clears throat> Let's see what Adrian says. Adrian, can you tell me what liturgical color symbolizes hope and is worn on Sundays when no special feast day is celebrated? Uh, do I have to be poetic as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say you got to do slam poetry. Because the earth is uh, filled with hope of God and uh, looks beautiful as nature yada 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 green you guys you have go. lost me so badly <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea what you're talking about at this me point. neither <laughs> so you have to repeat it word by word yeah it's, it's exact exactly okay so <laughs> pat i'm gonna i'm gonna clarify things for you make things easier the question is what liturgical color symbolizes hope and is worn on sundays when no special feast day is celebrated adrian seems to think it's green but rudy seems to think it's white 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Pat, what say you? Green. Green. So you're you're going with Adrian then. Yeah. Wow, Adrian. It's so easy. Like, no pause? No dramatic pause? Pat, who gave you the answer? Pat wasn't even hesitating. She was like, yeah, it's green. Of course it's green. Of course it's green. Congratulations, Pat. Way to go. Praise be to God. You're in the cup for, for three. How do you feel, Pat? Wonderful. Now, where are you off to today, by the way? I'm on my way to St. Bartholomew for adoration. Oh, wow. Oh, praise be to God. Pray for us. Pray for us, yeah. Now, if they do a benediction, you're going to know is the humeral veil and not the Kappa Magna. I think she already knew. Okay. Probably. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Will you pray for us at adoration today, Pat? Sure will, Joe. Praise be to God. We're grateful to you. Thank you for being a part of our show and having a laugh with us. We really like that. Sure, sure. All right, we're going to put you on hold, but it may be God's will that you should win on Friday, but you'll have to tune in to find out. Uh, But uh, we're going to put you on hold so that we get your phone number just in case. And that is going to do it for the radio side of our show on this Monday. We're going to have a whole week. We're looking forward to it. Praise God. Do us a favor and share us with a friend. But don't forget to pick up your car raffle tickets. It's a super important way to keep supporting Catholic Radio, keeping the doors open, the lights on, and Catholic Radio waves flowing in your community. Supporting that local GRN station is super important, and you can make that happen. And you might win a very cool car in the process, a 2022 GLA 250 Night Black Mercedes. That's kind of cool, right? So go to our website, grnonline.com. You can purchase the tickets there, find the rules, but you can also find the contact information to your local station manager, and calling them would make their day. So consider that, right? grnonline.com. If you can hang out with us in the after show, we'll chat with you for the next, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, and you get to drive that conversation. Find us on one of our live video streams, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the Memorial of St. Anthony of Egypt. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. A people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with fear, his praise foretell. Come ye before him and rejoice. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you always. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to, to Almighty God, God, and, and to you, my, my brothers and sisters, that I, that I have greatly sinned. sinned in my, my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done, in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask the Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, all the angels and saints, and to you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who brought the abbot St. Anthony to serve you by a wondrous way of life in the desert, grant through his intercession that denying ourselves we may always love you above all things, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A reading from the first book of Samuel. Samuel said to Saul, Stop, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Saul replied, Speak. Samuel then said, Though little in your own esteem, are you not leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king of Israel and sent you on a miss mission, saying, Go and put the sinful Amalekites under a ban of destruction. Fight against them until you have exterminated them. Why then have you disobeyed the Lord? You have pounced on the spoil, thus displeasing the Lord. Saul answered Samuel, I did indeed obey the Lord and fulfill the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought back Agag, and I have destroyed Amalek under the ban. But from the spoil, the men took sheep and oxen, 
the best of what had been banned, to sacrifice to the Lord their God in Gilgal. But Samuel said, Does the Lord so delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the command of the Lord? Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission than the fat of rams. For a sin like divination is rebellion, and presumption is a crime of idolatry. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he too has rejected you as ruler. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To the upright I will show the saving power of God. To the upright I will show the saving power of God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, for your burnt offerings are before me always. I take from your house no bullock, no goats out of your fold. To the upright I will show the saving power of God. Why do you recite my statutes and profess my covenant with your mouth, though you hate discipline and cast my words behind you? To the upright I will show the saving power of God. When you do these things, shall I be deaf to it? Or do you think that I am like yourself? I will correct you by drawing them up before your eyes. He that offers praise as a sacrifice glorifies me, and to him that goes the right way I will show the salvation of God. To the upright I will show the saving power of God. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. The Word of God is living and effective, able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were accustomed to fast. People came to Jesus and objected. Why do the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old cloak. If he does, its fullness pulls away. The new from the old, and the tear gets worse. Likewise, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the skins are ruined. Rather new wine is poured into fresh wineskins. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In today's Gospel we hear the disciples of John and of the Pharisees complaining a little bit that to their eye the disciples of Jesus are not fasting enough or they are not austere enough in their followings and their ascetical practices. 
Of course, to the reply, Jesus tells them, or he evokes an image of the wedding feast. In the first place, of course, Jesus himself is an image of the wedding between heaven and earth. Jesus Christ, who in his humanity and divinity is really the marriage of heaven and earth, which opens up the possibility for we human beings to participate in the divine life. And so Jesus' answer is really to say, he himself is the bridegroom, and while he is present, the disciples should be full of rejoicing because this moment that all of salvation history has waited for is now present in the person of Jesus, and this is cause for rejoicing. And just as if you went to a wedding banquet, you would not expect the bride and groom to say, we've got rye bread on the left and water on the right. You would expect a big feast to be present. Likewise, in the presence of Jesus, the disciples ought to be feasting and they ought to be marked by joy. So how about us? Where does it leave us in this mix? Should we be fasting? Should we be feasting? Well, I'm reminded back now, 20 years ago, to our class on eschatology or on the last things, and seemingly every day our professor would give the same line, and he would said, we are living in the time of the already, but the not yet. And I think that is kind of the way to put it for we Christians in terms of living in the presence of God. We're living in the already that Jesus is truly present among us, that we truly do have a participation in the heavenly banquet every time we celebrate the Eucharist and receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ and the sacred species, that yes, we are already able to live in his presence, and therefore, uh, joy should be the fundamental hallmark of the Christian life. Every one of our lives should be marked by joy to know that we have been saved in Jesus Christ, to know that God has become one of us so that we might have a share in his life. But we also shouldn't forget the not yet. And there, of course, we are alluding to the fact that we don't live in the presence of God in this world in the same way that we will in the beatific vision in heaven where we will see God, so to speak, face to face. And therefore, there is still a fullness of life which is yet to come. And then, of course, the second part of the not yet is we live in a world which is sometimes hell-bent on living without the presence of God. And therefore, we live in a kind of valley of tears. We live in a place where the, the rejection of God in the world is more and more apparent. And even in our own spiritual lives, we know the need to be vigilant in our spiritual life, to be vigilant in our prayer, to be vigilant in God's grace, and to be vigilant to avoid the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of this, of course, creates a certain amount of strife and conflict in the world that we live in, Reminds us, of course, of our need to be assiduous in our spiritual practices, but also reminds us of the lurking dangers which can be present out there in a world which would rather live oftentimes without the presence of God in it. And here we find ourselves kind of journeying down this road, on the one hand joyful to know that Jesus Christ came to save us, to know that we have a real communion with him, and therefore that joy marks our life, and at the same time, to be literally in the middle of a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare that is being played out 
between the children of the world and the children of God. And that creates a certain amount of tension. And so my brothers and sisters, today I would propose that we would move forth as disciples who are fundamentally marked in the joy of knowing that Jesus himself is the marriage between heaven and earth and the joy of the wedding feast, but at the same time to be ever vigilant to the need to be attentive to God's grace in our life, to be attentive to his presence in our life, to never take it for granted, and to always strive to live in his love according to his commands. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for his physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord hear, hear our, our prayer. We pray for all bishops and for all government leaders, that they would always be inspired to enact laws which respect the natural law of God and the dignity of human life from the first moment of conception until natural death. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and experience the healing touch of Jesus Christ. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our family, friends, and benefactors, for all those who have asked for our prayers, for all those joining us online and on radio, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray that we would always strive to live fully in the presence of God in our life and to experience the joy of the wedding feast. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the repose of the soul of Dr. Michael Meany and for his family. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Come, Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and in our hearts take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made to fill the hearts which thou hast made O comforter to thee we cry thou heavenly gift of God most high Thou font of life and fire of love and sweet anointing from above and sweet anointing from above. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands, praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. May these offerings of our service placed on your altar in commemoration of St. Anthony 
Be acceptable to you, O Lord, we pray, and grant that, released from earthly attachments, we may have our riches in you alone, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We <coughs> lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just. <clears throat> our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you are praised in the company of your saints, and in crowning their merits, you crown your own gifts. By their way of life you offer us an example. By communion with them you gave us companionship. By their intercession Sure support, so that encouraged by so great a cloud of witnesses, we may run as victors in the race before us, and win with them the imperishable crown of glory through Christ our Lord. And so with the angels and archangels, and with the great multitude of the saints, we sing the hymn of your praise, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Sumcelia Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. similar way when supper was ended he took the chalice and once more giving thanks he gave it to his disciples saying take this all of you and drink from it for this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in memory of me mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection 
until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world, and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember your servant Michael, whom you have called from this world to yourself. Grant that he who was united with your Son in a death like his may also be one with him in his resurrection. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Preceptis salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, quies in celis, Sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat reinum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum, da nobis odie, et imite nobis demita nostra, Sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas sententationem, se libera nos Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, and graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. On you say, Qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On you say, Qui tolis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, anius Dei, qui tolis peccat 
Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. O Jesus, we adore Thee, who with Thy love divine conceal Thy mighty Godhead in forms of bread and wine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O Jesus, we adore thee, our victim and our priest, whose precious blood and body become our sacred feast. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Jesus, we adore Thee, our Savior and our King. And with the saints and angels, a humble homage bring. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine. All praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. Let us pray. Nourished for our healing by your sacraments, O Lord, may we escape every snare of the enemy unharmed, just as by your grace St. Anthony won glorious victories over the powers of darkness through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.